Hi everyone, my name is Wim van Kouwenberg. I'm the director of BIMAS, the Belgian Maintenance Society. Welcome to the Asset Performance Podcast. We are here today at Aviva Select Benelux. And I have with me Omar and David. Hello, welcome. Very good morning. Hi. A good day to you, Wim. Yeah, hello. So, maybe first of all, um, what kind of uh, company is uh, Aviva Select Benelux? Well, uh, Aviva Select Benelux is um, well busy in industrial software. Eh? And busy in industrial software, why do I say that? We not only sell industrial software from Aviva, um, but we also make sure that uh, customers get the most from their software, meaning we deliver the support, we deliver all the trainings, eh? not only to the end users, but also the system integrators. And um, we make sure that we um, accompany during the projects of implementation and making sure that we validate certain things and making sure that the architecture is in place, correctly uh, implemented, etc. So that's why I say we are busy with and um, in short, we are the knowledge center of Aviva in the middle. Okay, uh, so Omar, maybe you can explain a little bit what is your role at the organization? My role uh, is sales manager in uh, in the company. So um, I have a team of six account managers and uh, we work predominantly on end users um, in CPG, in life science, uh, metals, uh, for instance, but also chemicals. And um, yeah, we cover um, the Benelux. That is uh, our mission. Yeah, okay. So David, um, well, you have a background in everything that has to do with with uh, intelligence uh, and etc. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So um, within Aviva Select, I'm managing our analytics team. Where we provide analytics services towards our customers. Um, now I have a background in the chemical industry. I worked uh, I worked there for 12 years, and before that, I'm a mathematical engineer. So I would say that uh, modeling data it's always been part of uh, of my story. Very nice to have some uh, experts around the table here today. So uh, well, we're going to talk about asset performance, of course, and, 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 and how you, what is your vision and the vision of Eviva on, on how that we, we can proceed with that, implementing that in industry. So in your opinion, what is asset performance? What is asset performance management? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, at Aviva Select, uh, coming from uh, Aviva, we don't necessarily speak about asset performance as a topic. We speak more of, of asset performance management. And for us, it, it clearly is more than just asset performance. Why? We not only speak about asset reliability or asset availability, but we also speak about the business context. And that business context is more and more important because yeah we live in a in a volatile market uh, currently so it's it's even more important than 15 years ago and um, so yeah questions that need to be asked are uh, what is the financial impact uh, on on the production um, what is the influence for instance of a changing supply chain on my production facilities and uh, these type of questions are to be asked to give a broader business context um, but also it's about uh, the organizational capabilities eh? so the capabilities of the organization the workforce management um, the capabilities of the IT and OT systems um, uh, the processes eh? so the, the work processes and how do they interact eh? does that mingle uh, correctly so that is for us um, asset performance management. Now, a little bit of, of marketing lingo from uh, from Viva. Viva speaks from um, of about um, asset performance management 4.0, APM 4.0, and that is the real digital transformation. And so, for us, that is bridging the gap, making sure that these IT, OT, and ET systems really connect, 
not only between systems, but also with the users. And so that is uh, for us the true digital transformation. Yeah, so it's the idea to connect engineering, maintenance, yeah. operations, uh, quality, etc. Indeed. All together in order Correct. to increase performance of uh, That's it. an output of, of the plant. Absolutely, of the plant. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. So um, what is the, uh, yeah, um, the mission of Aviva? What do we want to achieve there? For us, that's that's clear. Eh? Um, as Aviva, but also Avivas like Benelux, uh, I said earlier during uh, the introduction, we want to help customers extract the maximum from the industrial software. And when looking at APM specifically, we want to help them um, balance their risk. We want to balance that with performance eh, of their assets and also the cost of their assets and, and the maintenance of it. And so for us, that is the main, let's say, way towards operational excellence. Yeah, so, um, and how do we do that? Um, first of all, we try to help them manage their industrial information and, or, or industrial data. It starts with the data. And actually helping them moving towards a um, good asset strategy that is built upon prescriptive maintenance, mainly. Yeah, so we want to help them go beyond preventative maintenance, predictive maintenance, and really move to prescriptive uh, maintenance and help them build those strategies. Not only that, uh, I said industrial data, many, many companies have asset information you know, lying around the company or even outside the company, uh, lying at uh, EPCs, OEMs, you name it. And how do they manage all that information this is where we actually want to help customers you know get one single sort of source of the truth basically and so making sure that they can extract data from their real-time systems ot systems they can extract um, data from their erp because some erp systems also have um, asset information um, and we want to help them extract all the information from um, their documents, whether it be PDFs, Word documents, etc., but also plans, eh? so like PNIDs, um, 3D models if they have them, scans, etc., and really make that into one single source of truth. Yeah. So we're um, talking about digital twins. Yeah. Basically, that's that's one of these aspects eh, that that could be involved. Of course, eh, is that speaking of a digital twin, it's not only the visual digital twin, but actually what is underneath as well, and eh, that is the data, the information to make sure that users can leverage the digital twin, basically. Yeah. And that's why why Aviva calls it an asset information management system. Indeed. Yeah. So so indeed. So Aviva's asset information management is one of these solutions that um, can really push the users to extract more and, of course, um, increase collaboration between users. So it's not only maintenance using these type of systems, but also engineering because they need to provide, you know, new, um, let's say, assets and information on those, yeah, but also operations because operations make sure that, yeah, the real-time data is flowing into this system. So that's a perfect example. Really. Yeah, okay. So, David... Um you're in, in constant contact with plants and people in the on, on, on the in the field, I would say. Um, what are the, the, the main questions, the the main needs that you encounter? Well, it's 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 fun that you say so because that has changed dramatically in the last well since basically since March this year, right? So you, you know what I'm going to say, right? There is not a single day where people are not talking to us, to me, about the impact of AI, ChatGPT kind of things, um, to their work, to their company. Um, 
to there as a person in some cases. And the fun thing is, is um, there is this tool called uh, Google Trends. I don't know if you know it. Google Trends is, you can use that to see what is the world uh, looking for eh, on the web in a certain region or entirely in the world. Now, the fun thing here is that obviously ChatGPT is the number one word uh, searched globally. Do you know number two and number three? No. Well, number two is, is actually the Indian Cricket Championship. Yeah. And number three is the World uh, Football uh, Championship. Okay. So just to say how important, what the impact of ChatGPT has been the last months, right? Yeah. Now, on the other hand, for me as a mathematician, it's not really new. These developments in these models, they have been going on for decades. I've been also developing them myself 15 years ago when I was still uh, at university. So what we see is that there is, there is this hype now created, but on the other hand, it's also not new for us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, talking about the hype, um, basically AI, these are algorithms and they're calling these smart, but are, are they really smart or, or, or are they rather stupid? Well, I... I I dare to say, Wim, and, and I might now, or you might now get angry fan mail, sorry for that, but I, I, I dare to say that AI algorithms, they are stupid. Oh. They, they are stupid, um, and I understand that that needs some explanation. And, and it's always, I, I, I say that not only to people in the industry, but also to people I, I, I meet at, 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 at just somewhere, people from my family or at the school of my kids or you name it. The people ask me, should we be afraid of AI? And I typically say, say no. But So let's, let's go back to what is AI. AI, in my opinion, are computer algorithms who try to simulate cognitive functions. So they try to simulate how we think as a human which is really, really hard. Nobody actually fully understands that yet. Eh? But we try to do that. And um, if we talk about machine learning, which is typically used in this... If, if people talk about AI, they talk about machine learning. Now, machine learning is just one of those met ways of doing that. And um, now, I, I do have an interesting presentation on how that works. And I, and I will be talking on, the, on that topic at, at the BEMAS uh, conference. So everybody who likes to understand it more in detail, feel free to join my, my presentation. Um, but in short, I always try to resemble a, a machine learning algorithm to how a baby learns. Um, I've, I've seen it happening just a few years ago. And a baby learns to, 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 learns to do something by just trying. Trying and trying and trying and trying and trying. And at a certain point in time, um, it, it works. Eh? They, they are able to put a, a block into um, uh, something or they are able to have, if you have Duplo or Lego and you're able to build a small tower or whatever. So what, what basically is happening is in, in, the, in the mind of that, the, of that kid, a, a small connection is made and, and the connection says, this is good. Now, in the mind of that kid, there is nothing programmed. It is not a program where it goes like, if you do this, then that will happen. No, it's a neural connection. Now, if you take a look to how robots work in the industry nowadays, then we basically program, the, we program them to do a specific action. Eh? We uh, take something, uh, move it from uh, coordinate XYZ to um, XYZ uh, accent or whatever. It's always the same. It's deterministic. And these machine learning algorithms, they try by, by just trying to do a certain action and by then eventually succeeding in it 
uh, then they know, okay, like this, this seems to be okay. Now, by, by saying that, you understand that an AI algorithm, it, it doesn't have knowledge. Eh? It just knows that if I try to do something, well, this action looks to be the right one, right? Um, and this is also how ChatGPT works. ChatGPT doesn't understand our language. What it does, it, it makes statistical connections to relevant words. Um, so that means that um, if you would, for example, if you would train ChatGPT only based on the Harry Potter books, and you would ask ChatGPT to write a story which is in the, in the style of Harry Potter, that, that, that will probably work. But if you will ask ChatGPT, only trained on the Harry Potter books, to ask to answer a question about asset performance, for example, well, not a clue, obviously. Um, and that brings us, of course, um, to, to, to one of the main problems we see is that um, do, we have a, do we have the right data to train our models? Do we actually understand when these models can be applied? Um, and let's forget about smart models. Eh? Let's just make sure that we apply the right model eh, to the right case. And that's why I dare to say that those models are pretty stupid. Okay, yeah, because you touch something very important. Do we have the right data? And then, of course, uh, plants nowadays, well, well they, they, they are really have the aim to, to produce constantly, etc. So there maybe there is a problem. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it's it's. Um, I think already ten years ago, I, I gave a, a keynote somewhere at a conference with all uh, people from the chemical industry, and and I told uh, mostly plant managers, and I told them, I said, "You guys are making my life really, really hard." And they laughed and they went like, "Okay." And I said, "Okay." The, you only want to have stable production. You want to be. You want to have a plant who runs as smooth as possible. You want to hit a certain set point. You want to have, I would say, the least amounts of vibrations and deviations as possible. And you want to produce on spec, preferably 100% of the time, right? And, and, and I fully understand that. But from a data point of view, that, that data for me is completely well, there is no value inside of that. I can't make anything out. I can't start doing, I can't start making predictions. And one of the things which, which, which I always uh, talk about uh, when we're talking about uh, digital maturity or data maturity is that one of the really important points is that we need to have data which actually holds value, which holds deviations inside it. And if we do not have that, that's fine. But then we need to do. Then we need to have. Uh, I would say we need to introduce other technologies, other ways of working, to um, to to get insightful uh, information. And one of those things is that we actually start making changes to the process. Eh? We are trying to 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 make some deviations in that data now. Um, that's always a very long, uh, very long debate. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I hope you don't do that with airplanes, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> very nice example, because uh, indeed, actually, an airplane, when it's built, there is also a digital twin, yeah. which is modeled. One. Two, um, the, um, when an airplane is tested, they are testing that to the limits. Huh? Yeah. And it's only when they have a fully functional mod uh, digital twin 
Um, and the, the, the airplane has been tested by test pilots uh, to the limits uh, yeah. um, that they will actually approve that to be used. Now, in our industry, typically, we start up a plant. We are only busy with starting it up. Eh? We are really, really happy that it runs. And then we want to start running it as smooth as possible, as fast as possible. Right? Yeah. And that's a challenge. Yeah. I understand. I understand. So, well, uh, on the other hand, there is a high demand of uh, um, um, implementing artificial intelligence yes. and, 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 and digitization tra- projects, etc. So, typically, it starts with the proof of concept. So... Um, well, well, what is your opinion about uh, those proof of concepts, uh, this proof of concepts, uh, Omar? Well, we have uh, done quite a bit of proof of concepts uh, the last, let's say, three, four years, uh, um, trying to use predictive analytics uh, with machine learning in various use cases. Now, my question to you, Wim, as as uh, Bema's representative, would be: Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, would be, um, let's say, a, a successful ratio of proof of concepts because we have seen many uh, uh, throughout these years. What, what do you think? Well, uh, let's say um, uh, we hear, of course, the success stories. So uh, my opinion would be 100% because <laughs> we really hear the positive stories here. Correct, so correct. There you go, estimate. Yeah, but so, so in practice, what we see uh, is, is that um, many, many of these proof of concepts, about 90% around machine learning in the industry, they actually fail. Um, that, that's a high number, actually. Why is that? Uh, we, we just spoke about the airplanes. Um, a lot of people forget that yeah, before the air, airplane is actually built, uh, we have this full-fledged digital twin, but we actually create everything at scale. Uh, so we create a small airplane, a uh, small-scale airplane, and we test it to the limit as well before we actually start building and this proof of concept is actually critical and a lot of people forget that they actually need to build a very good use case before starting the proof of concept um, do they have the data a lot of people start with a proof of concept they say yeah I want to get started with predictive maintenance it starts already with the definition what is predictive maintenance does it imply AI and machine learning yes or no yeah, um, there it already um, creates a discrepancy, uh, let's say. Um, but do they have the data? And usually they don't have the data. Or they have just a small fraction of the necessary data to actually make the proof of concept work. Um, do they have buy-in from the management uh, layer in, in, in the organization, the users? Um, so this is all quite important to make the proof of concept work. Not only that, yeah, during a proof of concept, we need, we need to adjust certain things because throughout the proof of concept, we learn that, yeah, okay, this is not actually what we thought and we need to retrain, for instance, the model, the predictive model. So are we busy with that? Yes or no? Do we have people looking at the output from the model and actually doing something with it? Yes or no? So these are all factors that make, yeah, a proof of concept a success, yes or no? And what we see in practice is that most of the end users in the industry don't have, let's say, a yes mark or, or uh, let's say, a, um, an, uh, yeah, an okay answer to these questions. We, 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 well, I have a term for that, um, and it's called a pilotitis. So what is, it's, it's a medical, it's, it's, it's something <laughs> yeah, really, really, yeah, it's, 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 it's a really severe thing there. So what is pilotitis? Pilotitis is um, just starting off all these initiatives, one after the other. I will see what happens. But, 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 but nobody takes, steps, takes a step back to um, re-evaluate, 
to see what is what what makes sense. Now, the problem with pilotitis is in organizations, um, if if you don't have a um, if if you don't have the have the right, I would say, a change process around uh, 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 the, the the pilot or proof of concept, whatever you want to call it, uh, we are introducing, then then you will never get rid of this um, of this very nasty uh, disease. Yeah, yeah, it, and and um, you say it. Uh, there is. You know your own. You have your own terminology for it, but a lot of these proof of concepts don't even make the stage of go no go. Why is that? Because in the end, in fin, hey, yeah, they discover that they don't have the necessary team to actually make it a success, and they put it aside. Usually, it fails around the use case build up. They see okay, this use case make no, makes no sense, so we push it aside. And then there are quite a few, let's say, but that is a minority of that ninety percent. Of the proof of concepts that yeah are basically swept in the, into the trash can. Why? Because nobody is actually working on the POC. And of course, if you're not working on a POC, you can't meet the finish line. So that is also a factor. So on the other hand, you have those successful use cases. So what do they have in common? So what what are there the the, the, the basic uh, the the basic uh, pushes the the basic situation that you need to have in order to succeed with, with digitization it all starts with how the management the management buy-in but also the the managed management culture is in the teams who are working on that and we are talking now since 2000 i would say 15 16 we're talking about this industry 4.0 concept we all know it we all have talked about it we as a vendor Um, would, it would be very strange if we wouldn't have used it in our marketing terminology. Yeah? So we all claim to be living in this industry 4.0 era. And if I take a look to, to teams um, who, are, um, who are working on digital projects, I again dare to say something which, sorry for the fan mail again, we are still living in i would say in the in the in the in the in the era of industry 1 and 2.0 in the era of of taylor and and, and forth eh? and, and why is that that's um because if we go back to the to uh, 100 years ago um, um workers were seen basically as robots right a worker was a robot in the end was tasked to do a specific thing over and over and over again and then forth had a clever idea to put a conveyor belt in between but basically the constant stayed the same Um, it was a uh, it was a command and control concept, very hierarchical, eh? to, uh, top down. Now uh, that works really well um, uh, if you are doing something which you know. Eh? If the if there are only knowns eh, to to what you are making. Right. Um, a bit later, eh, these very famous Gantt charts were introduced with milestones and how long a certain task had to take. Um, so that means that we had now a clear plan. Good, great. Um, now, if we transfer that to the world we are living in today, I see that many companies still work that way. So if we want to do a digital project of any kind, then we need a project plan. We need to apply for a budget and we need to do this and that, etc., etc. So basically from 100 years ago. Okay. Now, um, if we take a look to digital projects, Um, in comparison uh, or uh, uh, to, to uh, uh, our good friends uh, Taylor and Ford, we only have unknowns. We, 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 we rarely have knowns in the things we are doing because we typically don't know what will be in the data. We don't know what data will be. We don't know what technology we're going to use. We have all these 
unknowns. Uh, and that, me- that means that, that, that uh, every project is unique. And that means that, if you, that, that you cannot apply those ways of working from the past to projects now in the, in the yeah, now and also in the future. And that's where these, these terms from uh, like uh, agile working, DevOps, uh, th- those are terms who actually uh, came in and, 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 and especially are known in the IT industry. Yeah? I would say in the typical IT industry, nobody is still using waterfall uh, methods when they are developing a digital tool. Yeah? Um, but in the, in, the, uh, in the manufacturing industry or in the operational world, this is still a bit of a strange duck. Right? It's uh, like, yeah, those, those are the two guys who are doing agile in our company, right? <laughs> now, it's really important because there are some key concepts in working um, and, and you know what? I don't want to say like you have to work fully agile. You buy the book agile and work agile, or buy the book DevOps and work DevOps. That's not what I'm I'm trying to to, to state here. What I'm saying is that there are some important concepts that we need to apply to these projects. And um, one of these uh, one of these concepts is the fact that we want to create autonomous teams, teams who have the autonomy to decide what makes sense for the project they are using. So that means that we, we give those teams the, 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 the full flexibility to decide that, okay, I'm going to use technology A or B, or I need to do this or I need to do that, that they don't always need to knock on someone else's door because then things get slow. And um, we also need to accept that those teams need to apply a fail-fast principle. A fail-fast principle is something which we do not like in the operation industry because we want to be, as I said, as stable, as, as, as safe as possible. But I always say that my best friend is the undo button. I try something, it doesn't work, I undo it, I try it again, I restore a backup, doesn't matter. But in any case, I need to be able to, to try something, fail fast, do it again, over and over and over again. And part of the fail-fasting is also to accept that you need to throw away stuff if it doesn't work. And that's also what we see from this uh, old school management uh, style of thinking. People go like, no, uh, David, you applied for a budget. Um, You will now keep on continuing until you have proven the thing, whatever you want to do. Let's let's say we're going to predict failure of a compressor or we're going to predict falling of a heat exchanger or whatever you want to name it. Um, But... Management need to accept, management layers need to accept that stopping a project is as good as starting it. Right. Now, um, that's, um, if we, if we, so that, that's from the management point of view. Um, if we take a look to uh, the key success factors, that means that um, in those teams, they need to have access to data in a very, very easy way. The data needs to hold value, as I said earlier. Um, but And this one is really, really important. You need to involve process knowledge in the projects you're doing. Um, there is no such thing as the holy grail in, in, in data science. There is no such thing as the algorithm to rule them all, right? The, the thing who will rule them all is knowledge about the things we are actually trying to solve. So that means that if we have teams where we have the technology or the mathematical point of view, we have the data access, and we have people who understand the process, if that comes together, then there is a really, really high chance of uh, getting it right. Yeah, well, you said it in your answer, but I, I want to dive a little bit deeper into this. Um, 
you said, of course, then they need to be able to choose the right technology, the right algorithms, etc. Yeah. So that means that you need to have a kind of digital infrastructure that that really can work with these different approaches, etc., etc. So, so uh, what is a good digital framework? What does it need to correspond to in order to be able to um, to succeed there? Yeah, well, Wim, that's that's a very good question because uh, David uh, spoke about um, these autonomous teams. Yeah? So, in order to uh, get the most of these teams, you actually need to start thinking about the data infrastructure for these type of machine learning and AI projects even before they actually start. Do I have the right infrastructure um, to actually start scaling as well? Because if I want to make this a success, of course, it it needs to scale up. And so you need to make sure that you have a data infrastructure in place that can actually be this kind of digital threat throughout the company that can provide real-time data, but actually also the, the right context. Because if you don't have the context of the use case you're working on, it will fail, uh, definitely. So you need to make sure that it is available as well to those teams, that these teams can just access the data, work on their own you know, analytics project, and then make their own conclusions and make their little use case a success. And so for this, you need a good backbone, of course. And this backbone at Aviva, well, there is a great example of it. That's that's the Pi system, the formerly OSI software Pi system. So we have embraced that fully at Aviva. And we really see this as the pinnacle of industrial information. The industrial information coming from different systems within um, the facility or the organization, not only the OT systems, but also usually the ET systems as well, and sometimes the the IT systems, eh? because you know we want to leverage ERP data, uh, certain financial data, etc. So this is this is key for a success in this new, let's say, day and age around AI and machine learning. Yeah, and I wanna I wanna add something to that. Um, um, well, it, it is. I'm, I have to say I'm a bit geeky in this in this area. It, it is I, I always think about about concepts regarding data platforms and, and management types and things and and actually wanna I actually also want to say that um, I started writing a blog myself. It's called the ITOT Insider and maybe we can put that in the show notes yeah. in the show notes. Um, and, and 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 on my blog, I uh, together with a colleague, I I try to describe. All these things, these, 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 these small things people encounter and, and how we can help them. And, and with we, I don't even mean Aviva. I just mean how the world works. And, and if you talk about those data platforms, um, if number one people are asking, the number one question people are asking me is about AI, good. The number two question people are asking me is data platforms. How are we going to combine all this IT data, OT data? And, and you have all these terminologies. Um, we need to build a, a data lake. No, we need to build a data warehouse. No, we need to build a data platform. Um, and I think what's really important here is to, to stress uh, a couple of similarities and a couple of differences um, between the IT and the OT world. To start with, the IT world is mostly working with transactional relational data, right? Uh, ERP, uh, ERP systems is an example, but typically we are working with transactional data. What is a data lake? A data lake is nothing more, nothing less than I have several data sources and I'm throwing it all in my lake at a certain place where I can easily access it. But at that point in time, it's just data. There is no, there is no structure. 
over there. Um, if people talk about the data warehouse, it's basically the next step, and that is adding structure to that data we were throwing on in our lake. So a data warehouse is nothing more, nothing less than a combination of data sources with structure applied to it. Okay, it's um, a bit, not fully right, a bit short answer, but that's the, the main thing. Now, if you compare that to what we know from the OT world, the OT world um, drives on, on time series data, on sensor data. And sensor data is not just a data point with a time with a time attached to it. It's also about the quality of your measurements. It's about um, understanding uh, is my sensor actually working. It's about com- combining sensors. It's sometimes if you talk about predictive maintenance, high frequency um, measurements eh, to, for example, uh, have um, eh, to, to to plot. Uh, yeah, the, the, I would say vibrations, for example, eh, in a uh, in a pump or a motor or rotating equipment uh, in general. Um, and that means that uh, this question about do we, now, do we now need an OT data lake or an OT data platform, it actually comes up very, 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 uh, very much. Now, in my opinion, if we take a look to uh, OT data, to time series data, the first step, let, let, let's compare it to a data lake as such. Eh? We have 1,000, 10,000, 100,000, whatever sensors, and we're putting it in one system. The Aviva Pi system is, is one example. There are others as well. Um, and this is kind of my data lake, right? Now, again, there is just data. There is no, there is no structure. There is no context. And what we need to do in our world as well is to make that same, I would say, step change and introduce this concept of a data warehouse. And so in, in, if, we, if we take a look to what, what, what the data warehouse could be um, in our OT world, that means that we need to, um, we need to have, um, on the one hand, um, assets information uh, structure. Mm-hmm. Eh? Um, um, uh, th- that typically indeed comes from these uh, engineering systems where we know, okay, this asset uh, is part of, th- that equipment is part of that line. That's one part of this context. Another part of the context is, the, is actually your, your operational context. What were you producing? Uh, which product? What was the quality? Now, today, these types of, of, of data, they are also still in, in, in different subsystems. Um, so to come back to that original, uh, the, I would say the original uh, question I, 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 I had about the data platform, in my opinion, um, one of the steps we, the industry, but also us as a vendor, will be taking in the next years and are taking also today, is introduce that concept of an OT data platform where not just the data lake, so the time series data is present, but all this contextual information as well. And then in the years to come, I, I don't have my glass ball here, to, here with me, but what I think what will happen in five to ten years is that this IT data world data warehouse, data lake world, will start merging slowly with the OT data world. Today it's two different worlds, but I see them coming closer and closer together in the next five to ten years. I believe we will go to one situation where we have one central data store, including everything. Take some time. Yeah, well, companies are one of those uh, yeah, sayings is that that... that, that Data will become or is the blood of a company. So do you agree with that? Absolutely. But I would say even more, and that's what we we sometimes forget, the user. 
Um, because data without, without those users, without people who are actually mining, eh? um, if we eh, mining the data, data mining, I actually still like that word. Um, fun fact, when I started working in the industry, the term data scientist was not really invented yet. Eh? So I started as a data miner, eh? Uh, which I still like very, very much so. Um, but we, 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 we forget about our users. And it's, it's actually funny, Wim, that it's our third point, I would say our third major point in, in our podcast. Eh? Yeah. Um, we should have taken it as a, as, as a first one. But it, uh, uh, just to say that for me, technology, process management and users, they are equally important. Um, and in our opinion, we expect too much from them, which means that we introduce something and we throw it over the fence um, into a control room or into a, a maintenance shop or you name it. And there you go. Right? Yeah, absolutely. So, so just to give the example, the analogy, and, and this is at the same time, um, let's say, um, I confess, uh, this is a confession, <laughs> I cannot cook. Uh, so this is, the, this is the perfect, perfect analogy that I will give. Um, I have a knowledge gap in cooking. Um, if we, you know, translate that into the industry, a lot of operators, technicians, uh, you name it, uh, engineers, they also have knowledge gaps nowadays because they have a clear and different way of living today. Um, they, they, yeah, the, the educational system has changed as well. So they clearly come into, let's say, the economy as a different persona. Um, compared to their colleagues from 20, 25 years ago. So there is a clear knowledge gap. How do we make sure that we bridge that knowledge gap? And coming back to the cooking, yeah, if I want to be, um, let's say, uh, a star chef in a restaurant, I want to make uh, you know, my own restaurant and uh, I want uh, three Michelin stars, I have basically two options if I can't cook. Either I follow cooking courses and I go step by step and make sure that I gradually build my knowledge and that I can maybe find the proper people as well to help me get to my three-star restaurant, or I can just take a plunge into the big ocean, let's say, and run around in the kitchen of a three-star Michelin restaurant. What would be the most effective? Well, I think the first one. Eh? So the second one will be yeah, a, a lot of chaos, a lot of um, you you will you will be doing the dishes. Uh, oh yes, yeah, that, <laughs> you will be clear. doing the dishes. Oh, that's clear. <laughs> um, yes, yes, yes. So 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 basically, we need to make sure that the user is um, gradually, you know, assisted in their job, on the job, and making sure that you know we assure that the quality of work is in place. And by that, we mean the knowledge should be built up gradually. We need to provide that knowledge also and manage it digitally more and more. Um, and so this is, in, in my opinion, a, a clear factor that we often forget in all these digital transformation projects. Eh? Um, we shouldn't forget about the user and certainly not the profile of the user nowadays. I, I, will, I will add a, a funny story about actually exactly what you, what you mentioned. So um, uh, some years ago, um, we were making um, a mathematical model uh, to predict um, a certain thing happening in reactors. And um, we actually applied machine learning algorithms, and that's more than 10 years ago. We actually applied machine learning algorithms uh, to try to uh, predict um, this, uh, this issue. And so we had these, these, these really cool models, and the, 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 the model basically said two things. Um, 
everything is okay or something might be happening in your reactor. So operator, please uh, take appropriate action. Now, the problem is that uh, they couldn't see inside that reactor. So the only thing they could, um, they could be using was they, could, yeah, they had to look to their, uh, to their pressure and temperature measurements and so on hopefully see some deviations but the problem is the, the deviations weren't visible because that's where, where why we are applying machine learning algorithms because we wanted to start combining all kinds of different factors so um, uh, we had an internal name uh, we used uh, for our model but the operators they called that the oracle and they why why did they use it the oracle because they went like yeah that thing says good or not good but we, 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 we don't know why. We don't, we don't, we don't know what, what's the impact on our job. Should we actually stop the process, yes or no? We don't know. Yeah. The, the thing, the oracle says so. And that's why they called it the oracle. I always found, that very, found it very, very, very funny. Um, and unfortunately, I would say our, our process specialist, uh, the, the oracle, was, was, um, was, uh, there was one process expert we used from, from, um, from that plant. Yeah. And yeah, the day uh, he uh, left that plant, uh, the, the, the oracle died with him. Yeah. Because the operators just went like, yeah, throw it out. And that's, that's, that's what we are saying here is that um, how good the technology is, how fancy the model might be, if you don't have the buy-in, forget it. That's yeah. it. You need to use a buy-in. Eh? And, and what does a, a user require nowadays? It's accessible information. But also, uh, let's not forget that um, the forgetting curve of the user nowadays goes down very fast, even faster than, than before. Uh, if, if we look at the YouTube uh, generation, uh, they are used to you know, consume information rapidly, but they forget it rapidly as well. And so if we don't make sure that you know, we have the proper tools to actually visualize the context and the information to the user so that they can constantly you know, work on their reinforced learning, uh, just yeah. to, to give some machine learning term terminology, <laughs> It doesn't work. Yeah. So you need to buy in from the user in their own, according to their own profile. That is yeah. essential. Well, in fact, David, I, 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 you gave already a presentation earlier at the Asset Performance Conference about the project in the chemical industry, yes, where yes. This, this accessibility to, you, uh, to, to data yes. was uh, the key point. Absolutely, yes. So I used to work for BASF. Um, and um, until now... We talked about data, about uh, predictive modeling, and so on and so on. But there was actually another topic, and that's, that was a topic of, of, our, of my previous presentation in Corona time. So it was a virtual one. Fun, fun, fun. Um, but um, yeah, and that was um, not, about, uh, not about data, but about uh, something else, which might be really, really interesting to uh, maintenance uh, and reliability uh, people, uh, is uh, management of change, uh, the digitalization of the management of change processes. Uh, um, th th the good thing here is that we always say, you need data, you need data, you need data, you need data. Um, but on the other hand, you have so many paper processes still in place in those plants, uh, um, already, um, we have a product called Mobile Operator where we provide uh, a smartphone uh, to the operators uh, to, to go in the field and, and, make, and make annotations, uh, start work orders. Um, um, BASF does more than 25,000 of those inspection rounds per year um, with Mobile Operator. Now, all that data now becomes available in an underlying data system. So we can start doing clever things with that. 
Um, and now if you compare that to the, the topic I talked about uh, two years ago was um, digitalization of the permits process, where we are still using paper permits, and which means that um, people, they wait in a queue to get their permits, they go out, maybe they need to sign off their permits um, on the right spots, eh? uh, maybe with the 4i principle, are we at the right spot? Do we did we bring the right uh, the right equipments? All those things. No, we forgot something. We go back in. Um, in many cases, you have a chain of permits which gets released. Eh? So that means that before my chain gets released, I first need to go inside whatever container uh, or shed is is placed, eh? um, and I, wait, I need to wait for my follow up permits, etc., etc., etc. And suppose that we are there uh, in the field and we have our signed permits. Then I suddenly come to the conclusion that I need some more situational awareness, meaning I would like, I would like to see a, um, a, a work procedure. I would like to see a PNID. I would like to see, for example, actual real-time data of um, is this line actually out of use, yes or no, or whatever you want to call it. Um, and um, we are talking here about, uh, uh, at Aviva, we, we try to use the word uh, connected worker. We would like to make sure that um, people who are outside, they are connected eh, to um, to everybody else, basically. And it, it's fun because you also said that the, the new generation, they use their smartphone. I as well. Well, I use my smartphone for everything. Uh, but the first thing I do when I enter, uh, for example, a chemical environment is I need to leave my iPhone um, at the, yeah, f- uh, wherever I need to leave it, but not in the ATEX zone, obviously. Eh? Yeah. Um, and having said that, I fully understand that I can't bring something in an ATEX zone. But uh, we do have very good smartphones, very lightweight smartphones, which you can use uh, in ATEX environments as well. Um, but then what, what I saw is you now have this smartphone and the smartphone has one app or two apps. And that's it. And then even worse, you see situations where they're not only using one smartphone for one, for one use case, they're using a tablet for another use case, and then maybe they're walkie-talkie because they still need uh, uh, mission-critical communications. Yeah. And so that, do, do you see some evolutions in technology that, that really uh, enable uh, data access also in these difficult zones? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So... Um, there are, I would say, on the one hand, um, uh, devices become uh, available and they are lighter and lighter. They are not the first ones I used were really bricks. As it's one kilogram and more, which is, yeah, anyways, man, we, we're past that <laughs> already for a couple of years. Um, from the, tech, from the uh, software uh, side, uh, we are seeing the introduction of more and more low-code, no-code platforms, which makes it really, really easy for people to start building their own small apps uh, to have uh, certain use cases. One of the, uh, the software we used um, at BASF for the digitalization of these permits is called Aviva Worktasks, uh, yeah. which yeah. is... Yeah. So, yeah, which is indeed a low-code, uh, low-code platform where you can actually build workflows, eh? and that means that you can you can have a, a mo- you can build a mobile app which interacts with other systems, eh? um, which gets data from ERP systems, from planning systems, from warehouse systems, um, which sends notifications back to certain workers, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, all in this low-code uh, fashion. Eh? Now there is a small, I would say, caveat eh? with low-code, no-code is. Um, that um, this can also become um, 
let's, let's name it Excel 2.0. Eh? Uh, we all know the Excel problem. Eh? Everybody, everybody builds their own Excel, maybe some VBA codes. Then whoever builds it leaves the company or retires or whatever, and then knowledge is gone, right? So what you do need, uh, and that's where Aviva WorkTasks really, really shines, is to also capture the knowledge about the processes. Eh? So it's not only a, it's not only a low-code platform, it's also a a knowledge capturing platform and it captures the process you are going to execute in the field, yeah. right? And then lastly, I think also um, the introduction of 5G is really important. I've always been a great advocate of, of going from 4G to 5G. Why? Um, not because of high bandwidth. Uh, we, we, we typically do not want to stream full uh, or 4K movies uh, inside a plant. Uh, um, but there are two things which are really important. Uh, the one thing is that because uh, 5G is capable, capable of working on lower frequencies, that means that we have a deeper penetration in um, yeah, in our in steel or in concrete buildings, which is really important for the industry, and and and, and, and there is also the possibility to, to build private 5G, eh, which gives you the possibility to even install antennas inside your own facilities, which is really hard to do with 4G. Um, and the second thing is the introduction of mission critical communication, eh, which means that in in the future we will have the possibility, and eh, once if something goes wrong. Um, that we can still guarantee the availability of 5G. Um, and then, yeah, this could uh, lead to, for example, just have one device eh, and we don't, have the, we don't need the walkie-talkie anymore. We just have one device uh, to rule them all. Yeah. Okay, so uh, power to the people, data to the people. Uh, yes. that's so, but if we take the point of view of a, of a maintenance manager, uh, so uh, what can you do there to, to increase uh, success and, and in order to achieve success? Oh, um, I would say I would say first, um, as a maintenance manager, yeah, you you, you need to be aware that, um, or you are already aware that we live in a day and age or an era with a lot of distractions. Yeah? So um, you need, as a maintenance manager, um, systems, but also processes that help your users, your maintenance engineers, your technicians, etc., whether working in-house or externally uh, um, working uh, on the site, um, they need to make sure that they have the proper digital aids in decision-making, first of all, without distractions. That is very important um, so that they know which are the priorities and that they can you know, leave aside the, the lower priority um, notifications, basically, what, what uh, David was uh, talking about earlier. And then secondly, uh, also managing the users, because um, with all the different systems, eh, as a maintenance manager, you have your CMMS or, or, or EAM, you might have your real-time systems coming from productions, etc. So there are many, many tools, and maybe ERP as well. Um, so there are many, many tools. You need to manage the let's say, the, the pitfall of digital tiredness as well eh, of your users. So please be aware that, you know, you need a company, you need a vendor um, or a partner, better yet, um, that understands that change management as well. Manage those users. Make sure that the use case is properly set up before actually doing your digitization project, whatever it might be. And so that is essential for any maintenance manager nowadays is don't look at, you know, the, the, the next greatest thing that you saw on, on, uh, on the Internet that um, claims, you know, to be out of the box software that can cover, you know, uh, all your use cases in maintenance or asset performance management. 
Usually that never works. Look for the proper partner that can find the right integration partner, that can understand the user's frustrations and needs and help you in, you know, get that use, use case um, through, you know, uh, thick and thin and make it a success. That is, that is basically what I, I want to I wanna point out. And for that, yeah, we are also, let's say, putting ourselves at the forefront. Eh? We, we, we not only claim to sell the software, but really help the users, you know, get the most out of their use case. Yeah, and, and if I understand well, it's also about making things more simple instead of making them more complex. Absolutely. So in order to make your digital transformation project a success, don't overcomplicate things. Eh? So as we said earlier, get, get the proper buy-in from management find the proper technology and make sure that you have buy-in from the users. So don't overcomplicate things. Don't look for the most complex use cases. Go for the easy, quick wins and uh, make sure that you have the proper partner to, to, to assist you with that. Yeah, so um, don't overcomplicate it. That is, that is certainly uh, one of our, uh, yeah, let's say, uh, uh, points of advice. And if I, if I take that uh, maybe as a, as a closing thought, One of the things I think in my in my previous job, when I was um, responsible for the implementation of those technologies, one of the most important things was to say no instead of saying yes, because everybody will would would like to uh, participate. Everybody has questions. Everybody has ideas, and that means that saying no is actually more important and also more difficult. Than, than saying yes to a question. And that's, that's where good scoping and a, and, and, and a good project starts. Yeah. And building your core team, don't make it too big. No. And so, so the more people that are involved, yeah, the, the bigger the chance of failure. So have a core team that can make the, the right decisions, absolutely. Thank you very much. I, I, I think with that, it's a, a very interesting conclusion to this a very entertaining uh, conversation that we had about asset performance, how to implement it, uh, and what are the caveats and, and, and what are the success factors. So uh, I found it very inspiring. So thank you very much, Omar. Thank you very much, David. My pleasure. Thank you. And, uh, It's we a pleasure. are looking forward to uh, to have you at the uh, Asset Performance Conference. Uh, in We are looking forward oh, to yeah. it as well. Absolutely. 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 Thank okay. you. You're welcome. See you thank later, you. guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.